well, money and finances, the economy, but uh, maybe a sign of something to come that could or couldn't be a good thing. Deflation. We've talked so much about inflation. Uh, I know how many of you feel about that and how obviously it's increased cost of living for so many people. Uh, we've all felt it in some regard. But what's deflation? Is this something that we should be looking forward to or is this a negative thing for us? We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who's the an economist for Concordia University, Moshe Lander, no stranger to the show. Moshe, thank you for being here. Always good to talk to you. So when I said last week that let's make sure our next conversation was a positive topic, you decided that let's talk about deflation, right? Yeah. So I'm trying, as you can hear, to put like a positive spin on this. Like, is this the opposite of inflation? So should we be excited? But I don't really think that that's the case, Moshe. You had to know as an economist, I mean, you're kind of talking about things that people aren't really that excited about, aren't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it is not a good thing. So right. we're, we're going to have a little okay. bit of a, a bad news discussion. So let, let's hit it. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's just start with the basics then. Let's clarify the difference between inflation and deflation. What are we talking about here? Sure. So inflation is where the average price of goods and services is increasing. Okay. It doesn't mean that all goods and services prices are increasing. It doesn't mean they're all increasing at the same rate. It just means that on average, there is an increase. Deflation then is the exact opposite. It is where the average price of goods and services is falling. It doesn't mean that all of the prices are falling. It just means that on average, they are falling. And so given a choice between inflation and deflation, almost everybody should say, I'd rather the inflation that we're suffering through than the potential for equivalent amounts of deflation. Okay, why? Because I think some people would would likely say, well, look, prices are falling, everything is becoming more affordable to me, isn't that a good thing? Right, so if you are just thinking of your rational self-interest, I can totally understand why you would say, I (laughs) love the idea that prices are falling all around me. But if the economy is experiencing an average fall in prices, this is going to be very dangerous because what's going to enter into consumer mindset is if on average prices are going to fall, then anything but the most essential purchases can be pushed until 2024. But if all of us decide that we're going to push anything but the most essential purchases until 2024, uh, guess what actually happens? Prices will fall. But because of human nature, we're going to say, hey, look at how smart I am. You know what? I bet you they'll fall into 2025, too. And what happens then is that the economy is going to slowly collapse mm-hmm. because nobody is going to be spending uh, on anything but the most essential stuff. If you have inflation, then I expect that on average prices are going to be more expensive next year. So I'm going to spend this year because I don't want to wait till next year. But when I get to next year, I'm also going to spend because I'm going to expect it in 2025 things are going to be higher. And so at least the economy keeps moving along when you have inflation. Deflation can just bring it to a standstill. So we're talking about the broader Canadian economy really being impacted by something like deflation. Can you, Moshe, give us an example of maybe an instance of deflation that we could maybe call to to memory or to mind? So not in Canada. Uh, If it happens, it happens only temporarily. And the fix for inflation is always that we could ask the Bank of Canada to hire a helicopter and just fly over the city like you see in uh, the money heist, right? And just drop money out of the sky and that would create inflation and it would stop deflation dead in its tracks. The classic example of deflation recently has been occurring uh, on and off for about 30 years in Japan. And they've been experiencing deflation mostly because just of an error after error in government and central bank policy. 
that's been taking what should have been just a blip and making it worse. They've essentially lost an entire generation of economic activity because of this inability to push back into inflation. It's cost a whole bunch of prime ministers their jobs, finance ministers their jobs, and central bank governors. And while people might not cry for the loss of politicians and central bankers, uh, it's had real ramifications on on the broader Japanese population. Are there there certain sectors then here in Canada or industries, Moshe, that would be really the most affected by deflation? So it's not that it's necessarily sectors that stand to gain or lose. It's, It's groups within the economy. So right now, when you have a period of high inflation, if I borrowed money from you, at a fixed rate, then I want prices to take off sky high. Because when I give you back the money with interest that I promised you, that money's going to be worthless to you because prices took off. And you're going to say, this isn't really the amount of money that I lent Got you. Got it. Okay. Right? So if you had deflation then, you would have the exact opposite situation going on, which is that the person that lent the money would be laughing at the thought that, hey, I'm going to get back not only the money that I was promised with interest, but that money is going to stretch even further. And so where we say that inflation can act like the secret tax that moves money from one group to another, deflation could do it too. But because most consumers are indebted, then we really stand to suffer because our loans are going to remain the same, but we're going to be repaying it in less valuable money. So it's either going to take us longer to do, or it's really going to hand money over to the people that lent us, which is banks, financial institutions. So those, okay, so those organizations, those institutions are the ones that are really going to benefit and really almost hope for deflation. Yeah, except for the fact that they would have a very difficult time being able to move going forward because businesses would stop borrowing money because they would say, I don't need to borrow money anymore. My economic activity has declined sharply because nobody's buying my stuff anymore. We're not going to borrow money anymore because we're not even going to have the income to be able to borrow money to buy things. Uh, And we're, of course, delaying all of our purchases, too. So it it might be a pyrrhic victory where they might win for just a very short amount of time, but then they, too, would jump on saying, I don't like this. Okay, so the way that I'm I'm understanding this is that this is sort of a, a sign of economic weakness then for our entire country. This could be there could be bad implications for overall economic growth. Yeah, the only case where deflation could broadly be good is if it's because the supply side of the economy is expanding so rapidly, say, because of like technological innovation, right? So, you know, on a, on a good-to-good basis, if the price of DVD players came down from their 1990s highs to where they're now practically given away, that's good. But that's because of technological advancement. That's because of increases in productivity. Right. So if okay. the economy as a whole is growing through productive use of resources because of advancements in technology, that's okay. But that's not the deflation that you and I are talking about. We're talking about a collapse in the demand side of the economy. That's not good. And we're talking about this because why? How certain are we that deflation, excuse me, is actually something that's that's going to take place or is taking place? So I don't think that it's going to take place. Certainly, when we spoke last week, we were talking about the bad inflation numbers that are continuing to creep up. So generally, we're not at a point where deflation is something that is necessarily in front of us. But the fear now is that because we've been talking so long about all of these interest rate increases at some point are going to slow down the economy, is it possible that six months, 12 months out, we might find that there was too much increasing of interest rates and we damaged the economy so much 
that now all of this consumer spending is dried up. And now, rather than worrying about inflation, we're going to start to worry about prices falling, deflation. And then are we going to get ourselves trapped in this vicious circle that Japan experienced for the better part of the last 30 years? But going back to the consumer as a whole, could it couldn't maybe necessarily be seen as such a negative thing. Someone on the text line, Mike, saying consumers wouldn't think this way. So, you know, if you're looking, again, just to emphasize your point on a case-by-case basis of just the from the individual perspective, prices falling could be seen as something that's oh, relatively okay. Correct. But there's only so many individuals that could say it's a good thing before collectively it becomes a bad thing. Remember, too, that if businesses find that they can't sell anything anymore because we've delayed all of our non-essential purchases, then in order for them to stay in business, they have to find a way to cut costs. And guess what the easiest cost to cut is? It's our wages. And so if you think that Canadians are upset now that their wages aren't increasing, if they're only increasing by 1% or 2%, imagine how Canadians would respond if you now told them that in order to just stay in business, I need to cut your wages 5%. And it's not just on a case-by-case basis, but it's across the broader economy. Uh, again, it's something that can really add up into something bad, even though on a case-to-case basis, you might say it's okay for me. Okay, but likely this isn't going to be the case. Instead, we're going to have this sort of predicted soft landing that sort of skirts us really kind of close, but not directly into a recession. Is that is that fair? Right. I think that if we saw any signs of deflation coming, the good news is that the Bank of Canada has the quick fix. Like I said, they can just do a helicopter drop of money and the deflation will go away very fast. Obviously, they won't do it exactly like that, um, but that's always the nuclear option even. So, um, you know, you can just print money and just put it out into society and that itself should create inflation. So even if we saw it, it would be just a very temporary blip that as soon as the central bank got wind of it, they would put an end to it right away. Moshe, you know, I know that you said on the outset of this conversation you wanted to talk about something that was maybe a little bit more upbeat or more positive. Something that could be seen as sort of fun, depending on how you're looking at it, is this new provincial uh, pension plan idea. I'm curious <laughs> if you have some thoughts on this one. If I can, if I can get your perspective from from, of course, someone who is an economist, uh, but we do have to take a very short break. So let me just pose a couple questions to you because I know our listeners are curious about how this could or would maybe potentially work, uh, but we'll come right back after a very quick three minutes, okay? Moshe Lander is an economist for Concordia University, and he'll join us once again right after this. Someone on the text line already, uh, no, I'm not in favor of an Alberta pension plan. I'm retired and I'm 69. What are your thoughts on this controversial idea? That's all that it really is so far, 780 uh, the province is planning on pitching to Albertans uh, the idea of having a, a provincial pension plan. This after a report um, suggesting that the province could be entitled to more than half of the Canada pension plan assets. So how realistic is that math and what could this actually look like for us? We're going to touch on it a little bit with our guest who's an economist for Concordia University, Moshe Lander. Uh, Moshe, thank you so much for sticking around after the break. I really appreciate your time. No worries. Okay, so is this something that you have been kind of following, paying close attention to as an economist, or is this sort of coming out of left field? No, um, this is uh, something to be expected. Uh, it was a, it was a, something that was floated in the last government, uh-huh. uh, and so they're merely acting on this. I, I see the, the dirty hand of politics here rather than good economics at play. 
Uh, I don't really envision that this is going to go anywhere, uh, at least on this topic, but I can very easily see this being used as leverage elsewhere in trying to negotiate with Ottawa to get maybe something uh, back for, for Albertans. Yeah, and I think that conversation, that, that point has come up a lot, is that this is something that is very, very politically driven. Whether or not this could actually take place is a, is a totally different story. I mean, there would have to be a referendum that would take place before implementing something like this, so we would have to vote this in as Albertans. I don't know that that would necessarily be likely. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the math here, though, because a lot of people questioning that, the idea that the province is entitled to more than half of the Canada Pension Plan assets. Is that is that realistic? No. So this is an accident of legislation that took place decades ago. And so the Alberta government is very astutely exploiting something that most Canadians are not aware of and, and a loophole that if the other provinces were to try and exploit it in a similar way would bankrupt the system. So I, I won't go into the boring details, but essentially the way that they created this formula uh, decades ago, it really doesn't work anymore in a 21st century economy. And so when Alberta is making claim that they are entitled to half of the assets, um, each of the other provinces could make a similar claim for similarly crazy amounts, and the amounts that they would collectively claim would be more than 100% of the assets mm-hmm. in the Canada Pension Plan. So they know full well that they have zero chance of being able to do this. Uh, but of course, it does grab headlines. And if Albertans are going to be asked to vote on this, then if you present it to them that, hey, we're entitled to half that money, look at how much money we're contributing to the Canadian pension plan. Think of the pensions that we could have if we took that money and just spent it on ourselves and not shared it out with the other nine provinces and three territories. Uh, hopefully what you do is you get a very compelling argument that Albertans get behind. But the, the, the formula was never updated because the ability to change the legislation, of course, is always difficult. Uh, it requires some work of parliament. Uh, but it's also something that nobody really ever envisioned that there would be an Alberta coming along, uh, kicking up the fuss that they're, they're, they're doing. Uh, and, and so there wasn't a speed or necessity to do it. Now if they try to change it, it's going to look like they're trying to counter Alberta's claim to half the asset. So if... Hypothetically, this is something that does go to a referendum and then does get voted through and then does actually take place. And and the idea that we're entitled to something, whether it's half or maybe less than that, what could that reasonably look like then for Albertans and for our pensions? So that's a different issue. Let's say that even Alberta walks away with something that's appropriate, however you want to define appropriate. The whole idea of an insurance scheme is that the more people that are involved in the insurance scheme, the lower the premiums we have to pay and the safer that the insurance scheme is. If you and I agree to insure each other against a job loss, then if either one of us loses our job, we are extremely at risk here. Um, But if we were to include hundreds of people in that insurance scheme, then you and I collectively see much, much less risk of what would happen if we lose our jobs and the amount of money that we'd have to contribute would be much less as well then because we'd have all of those other people pitching in as well. Mm. So, you know, the strength of the Canada Pension Plan is built on the backs of it is for Canadians and all Canadians are contributing. If you start siphoning it off that it's an Alberta plan, it's a Saskatchewan plan, it's an Ontario plan, then fundamentally we're going to probably have to start paying more in contributions uh, or we're going to receive less in benefits or even if somehow we manage to avoid that trade-off, we're going to amplify our risk. The Alberta economy is very tied up in a few key industries, and if those industries go down, like the oil and gas industry, like the agriculture industry, that takes a huge number of us with us. Well, you're not going to be able to provide then 
financial support to people in a system where you're riding the ups and downs of the economy. Got it. Okay. Moshe, thank you so much. Uh, I knew that you would have uh, some perspective and some and some insight on that. I have one, one more question for me. This one coming from a listener just talking about kind of the, the hypothetical if this were to take place, saying it's not uncommon for a person's employment to take place in a number of provinces. Would a person then get part CPP and then part Alberta pension? I, I suppose we don't know the, the fine details at this point, right? Yeah, so the obligations, at least as it's currently constructed, follow you wherever you live. So if you contributed, uh, then wherever you go, you will be receiving that benefit. So it it would be part of the divorce settlement that that decides how do we deal with uh, our joint children (laughs) and and who exactly is going to be responsible for paying those sorts of uh, uh, custody arrangements. So uh, I guess it's to be determined, and and that's, of course, where the devil and the details will come out in the coming months uh, when we get to a referendum. Moshe, you're the best. Thank you so much for answering so many questions about a a couple different topics. Really appreciate your time, as always. Anytime. Take care. That's Moshe Lander, economist for Concordia University. Uh, first, talking about deflation and, of course, the difference between deflation and inflation and this idea of a provincial pension plan. What do you think about the <laughs> this taking place, whether or not it's even reasonable?